morning, everyone. Good to see your faces. I'm excited about momentum this year. I feel like, you know, most of the time we, um, we have got projects that are really local. Am I really loud? Sorry, Beck, can you maybe pass it to Jesse over there? You're good at many things. Um, and I uh, really, really feel like this year we really get to bless people uh, because we've been so blessed, hey, in this space. And so really looking forward to all that we get to do um, in the next couple of months. Um, this week, I'm hoping to touch base with our second international uh, missionaries and maybe have a Zoom chat or something like that um, and prepare to show a bit of a video hopefully next week on the work that they're doing over in Lesotho. Um, and, and, and they are amazing as well, and uh, we're, we're, we're so excited. I really, uh, one of the things is that we call it momentum because this is a time for us to invest so that there is momentum for God to accomplish what only God can do. And our resource is always meant to be an investment into what God wants to do. And so let's see uh, what we can do together, and then let's leave it to God to really open things up. Uh, for us in the coming season. But last week we started on our series, Maximizing My Capacity, and we explored the necessity of our lives on earth. Remember that Paul said that it is better, it's so much nicer for me to be with Jesus, but it is uh, necessary for me to be here with you to accomplish the work that God is wanting me to do. We all have a necessary mission. You know, uh, just yesterday I was listening to a teaching, um, and do you know that the word vocation, not vacation, vocation, uh, comes from the, uh, a sense of God's call, building, how do I build God's kingdom? That's all of our vocations are meant to be about how am I building God's kingdom? That's where that word comes from. Your vocation is not for your retirement. Your vocation is not for your comfort. All of those things are good in itself, but really your vocation is not the career that you build. Your vocation is what you do every single day with what God has given to us, and therefore it is necessary for us to be here, and it is necessary for us to maximize our capacity, because it's only when my capacity is maxed out according to God's design that I'm truly living out all that God has for me. And that is not meant to be condemning in the sense of like, why are you not maxed out? yet, but rather let's learn as a people of God to continue to edify one another as we journey through life today. And so uh, it brings us to today's topic, and um, you know, um, it's, it's been about three and a half years, nearly four years since Sam got placed with us, but before that, we had a whole bunch of training that we needed to go through um, and, and assessments that we did in order to become adoptive parents. And, um, you know, we had, what was a, a really intense one was the uh, psychological testing, which was six three-hour sessions, six, seven three-hour sessions, I, I blocked out one. <laughs> seven three-hour sessions where this uh, wonderful uh, uh, social worker probed and, 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 and questioned us about every single facet of our life to see whether we would be making great adoptive parents. Uh, we also needed to go to uh, get all of our uh, uh, 
well, well, we didn't need to get all of it. I did. Um, so we needed to give our traffic infringements, and if there was more than two in the last five years, which is not bad, right? We would need to get our whole traffic infringement history. So Beck didn't, because she's only been driving at that point for two years. I'm joking. <laughs> totally joking. But I had to get my whole thing, and I went to the cops, and the cops were like, man, every parent should have to do this. It's like, yes, probably. But one of the things that was quite interesting was that we needed to get full medical checks, in, uh, including our medical histories. And, and so we did, like, you know, um, our cholesterol levels, our, uh, um, you know, our height, weight, uh, plus all these different things that we needed to get checked up on. We did full blood tests and, and all of that. And um, there was a reason why they wanted us to do these physical tests. And this is the reason why, is because they wanted to make sure that when a child is placed with us, we would last physically till the child is 18. The child has already experienced a trauma and a loss of um, their birth family, and so the adoptive family needs to be able to show or prove that they will try their best to last till the child's at least 18. And think about it this way. We went through a whole bunch of training. We did a whole bunch of reading and, and watching of different videos and training on, on, on how to uh, work with attachment, how to deal with uh, trauma, how to do all these emotional things. We were tested on our knowledge of child development, but all of that comes to naught if we die. You notice that? That you can be the most well-trained parent, but if you're dead, you're not parenting anymore. It's, it's not groundbreaking, guys. It's true. It's just that for us as adoptive parents, it was brought to our attention, try to please live till your child is an adult, please. No one else really has to do that because you kind of don't necessarily have those kinds of checks to go through when you are pregnant. Um, but, but we needed to have this understanding. So why is it sometimes that when we come to the things of God, we think about it as spiritual, uh, but not any other aspect of our lives. Because parenting my child is an emotional expense. It is an intellectual uh, uh, expense. It, it takes so much of every single part of me, and it's also physical. So maybe we need to understand that our Christianity is not segregated into spiritual and physical, but rather it is actually the whole of me. And so the question that I want to pose to you this morning is how whole are you? Not in the sense of brokenness, not so much in the sense of what you face, but more in the sense of how much of you are you bringing to everything that you do? How much of you are you bringing into your families? How much of you are you bringing into your workplace? How much are you bringing into your marriages? How much are you bringing into your schooling? How much of you are you bringing into every aspect of your life? And I want to tackle this from a specific angle that I only uh, discovered about five to six years ago. Uh, how many people here have heard that all of us are body, soul, and spirit? How many of you believe that? Hmm, no one's ever asked me that before. That's an assumption I've always made. 
body, soul, spirit. That was uh, um, spoken about as I was growing up. We kind of assume that as human beings, we are body, soul, and spirit. Do you know that the Bible only has one reference to body, soul, and spirit? One. And that is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, which says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see Paul saying that we are meant to bring our whole spirit and soul and body to, uh, and be blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only reference in the whole massive Bible where in one verse it says that we have body, soul, and spirit. Nowhere else. Nowhere else in the Bible does it break down our humanity into body, soul, spirit. Now, some people say, well, uh, it's said in different ways, like, well, you need to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, well maybe not our spirit then, hey? We only need to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or, or there's some of the passages. There's Hebrews 4.12, which says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit. So maybe there's a division between the soul and the spirit, right? Of joint and marrows and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But I, I remember that we, we were brought up with this regular knowledge, if you will, or this regular thinking that we are body, soul, and spirit, and we segregated ourselves into body, soul, and spirit. And to be honest, as I was growing up, there were many ministers that were very spiritual, but not very physical. They looked after their spirit. They would pray for hours, but they had no care for their bodies. They would be grossly overweight. They would, be, they, they, they would do zero exercise. They would, they would not sleep well. They wouldn't do any of those. They were running around doing the ministry of God because they were spiritual people, but they forgot that they were physical people as well. I've known ministers who care for the spirit and didn't care for their soul, if you will, their emotional health and their hearts, where they didn't deal with the issues that come from life. And, and so they had a soul that was shrinking but supposedly their spirit was alive. How many ministers have we seen fallen over the years because maybe they were spiritual, but they weren't very soulish or they weren't very physical? I wonder how many ministers have died too young instead of parenting the next generation the way that they should have. See, the problem with thinking about our body, soul, and spirit is that we break up ourselves into three different categories, which is actually what this view is called in theological terms. It's called trichotomy, which means three categories. The three categories, body, soul, and spirit. And what happens when we break things up into three categories is that we can place an emphasis on a different category depending on the context that we are in. For example, probably uh, from about uh, uh, more than 10 years ago, when we said health, I said, how's your health? What do you think people will immediately be thinking of? 
physical health, right? Body. We're thinking about, you know, am I well? Do I have any disease? Am I looking after my body? Now there seems to be an understanding that there's physical health and emotional health, which is fantastic, which is great. But there's a context, and people thought about the context. They didn't think about how their emotions necessarily impacted with their bodies. They didn't think about how their spirit, if you will, impacted their bodies. We're talking about health. We're talking about health. And then nowadays, when you talk about soul care, what do people think? about. We're thinking about how I feel and whether I am feeling alive or whether I'm feeling well, whether I'm well rested in my soul. But are we thinking about our spirit and are we thinking about our our, our bodies when we think about soul care? We segregate it. And here's the sad thing, that when we think about the spirit, we think about going to church. We think about reading the Bible. We think about worship and prayer and we forget that every single moment, like what Pastor Beck brought to us in the giving message just a moment ago, we are meant to be a living sacrifice, not disembodied spirits floating around doing God's will. We are meant to be bringing our eating and our sleeping, our work and our rest, our friendships and our relationships, and everything is meant to be God's. But when we, bring, when we break ourselves down into different categories, we place a different weightage on the categories based on the context, and we might be missing the point. I learned a while ago that this was maybe not so much found in God's Word, but is more found in Greek philosophy. See, even before Jesus walked on this earth, there was a guy who was probably one of the greatest philosophers of all time, and his name is Plato. And Plato had something that we call a dualism. Plato's dualism is that he thought that the material world was simply copies of the immaterial world. So what we see in the material world were, were simply uh, uh, just the forming together from an immaterial world. And, and his thought is that the material world, because of from what he observed, the material world is actually not that great. It's poor copies of what is happening in the immaterial world or the spirit world or what is eternal. He noticed that what was material seems to be in decay and seems to be falling away, whereas the eternal world seems to always shine with a certain brightness. And it led him to say this, that the material world is evil, but the spiritual world is good. The material world is evil but the spiritual world is good. And some of you, when you're thinking about it, I said, doesn't the Bible say something about that? And maybe it does, because when I look at Romans chapter 7, it seems to say that, doesn't it? Paul talks in this uh, uh, chapter about, I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, and, and maybe it's not me, it's the flesh in me, it's the sin in me, etc., etc. And then at the end, in Romans 7, 24 to 25, he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I, will, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but in my flesh I serve the law of sin. And Paul seems to lean into this flesh is bad, spirit is good kind of thinking in his writing. And so it seems to link up with Plato's dualism, doesn't it? In fact, Plato went as far as to say that the flesh is bad, the material world is bad, and our souls are trapped 
in these evil bodies. That's what Plato said. Not Jesus, not Paul, not the Bible, Plato. Some of us have been following and having a worldview that are closer to Plato than it is to Jesus. And we really need to examine this. You see, for many years, I subscribed to this kind of thinking. I thought that there was a spiritual part of me, and I needed my spirit to be alive. And I thought that because of the whole idea that my spirit needs to be alive, I needed to starve my body, and I need not, not, not necessarily in terms of food, but I needed to stop thinking about my body. I needed to stop thinking about my soul. I needed to place all of my attention on the spirit. I thought that that was what God was calling me to do. That's how I become a better Christian. If I focus more and I invest more into the spirit, but not the, not the soul and not the body. Those things are, are, are a part of this world systems and they need to pass away. They need to die. I need to die to self. And that's what I thought. Dying to self was about dying in my physical and my emotional body. I actually thought that maybe if I wanted to be a minister, you know, like suffering in the body was actually a good thing because it's punishing the body for its sin and it's allowing my spirit to come alive. But I also found something that was really, really discouraging. I felt like the physical body and my soul felt more like me than my spirit. I mean, when I'm punishing my body, I feel it. When I'm going through emotion, emotional turmoil, I feel it. And sometimes when I'm doing the spiritual stuff, I'm praying Jesus, but I'm not necessarily really feeling it. It almost felt like the Spirit was calling me to be someone that I'm not. The Spirit is calling me to be something that I could never attain. The Spirit is separate, and it's like, Jesus, this is too hard, and this is too beyond me. I could go through all of this training and I don't think I could ever live up to what the Spirit is trying to tell me to. And one of the ways that I gauge that is whether I wanted to be in the Spirit more than in the other segments. And as a teenager, no. How many people were teenagers at some point in this room? How many of you know what hormones do to people? How many men in the room know what puberty does to your minds? I wasn't spiritual in my mind because I didn't want to be doing the spiritual stuff. And so I had this sense in me that's like, well, you know what? If I'm never going to become that, maybe I should just give in to that. And that is what many of us end up doing because... We think that there is this categories of life and our spirit needs to be somewhere around there and the rest of us need to be down there. And then five or six years ago, I went for a class and a guy said that the trichotomy is actually not very evident in the Bible. And I was like, what? For 25 years, I thought that I was body, soul and spirit and you're telling me that there's another way of seeing this. And well, there was, there is. 
And that way is actually called the holist view. W-H-O-L-I-S-T, the holist view, where it understands that there is a material will and an immaterial will, but it sees them as completely interlinked and not meant to be pulled apart. And when I started to think about it, I was like, this makes sense. Do you know that psychology has a problem that no one can solve and no one really knows if it is ever going to be solvable, and it's called the mind-body link? The mind-body link goes like this. We know that the brain, the physical brain, somehow affects the mind, and there are experiments to show that. Uh, and maybe not so much experiments, but unfortunately, some accidents where the brain has been damaged affects the way that the person's personality is, and it shows that there's a link between the physical brain and the immaterial mind. But then science has also shown that you change the mind and you can change the brain. So the, main, the brain changes the mind, the mind changes the brain. What's the link? Is there something else out there that is somehow pulling all of this? No, well, maybe it's because the mind and the brain somehow in God's great design is this and is meant to be like this. So if you punish your brain, you're punishing your mind. And I'm wondering if we can start to understand when my body is not alive, my spirit struggles. When my soul is struggling, my spirit struggles. If you even want to break up the soul and spirit, Hebrews 4.12, talking about the sword of the Lord piercing through and dividing between soul and spirit, it's not meant to break them apart. The, the, the focus of the verse isn't that we are meant to be slicing things up that we're not meant to. It says that we slice through joint and marrow. Does it mean that we take the Bible and we start slicing things? No, just because you can cut something doesn't mean you should cut something. And if you want to know, this is my current understanding, which might not be full, but the difference between the soul and the spirit is this, that the soul and the spirit are actually part of the same kind of like immaterial structure of our lives, but our spirit is what the Bible describes as the part that is in touch with God. The soul is the other parts of us that we require to function in our lives. And so we need to tune in to the parts of us that are tuning into God, and that's the whole point. But let me show you something really quite fantastic. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 44, Joe, this is probably one of the last verses I have skipping all around the place. Um, uh, uh, Paul talks about what happens at the resurrection. And, it's, and Paul writes this, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is talking about the resurrection at the end of time. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Now, when I used to read this, I thought that this meant that the physical body dies and we're given a spirit. No, this is not what it says. It says that at the resurrection, our natural bodies that are the product of this current day and age dies. It is sown, it dies, but then it is raised. The same body is raised into a spiritual body. Now, this is quite whack. Because we have grown up with the thinking that the spirit means immaterial. But Paul says, spiritual, physical body. Spiritual, physical body. 
spiritual, physical body. The resurrection is not that we become disembodied spirits floating around, but rather that we are raised spiritual, physical bodies. Why? Because spirit simply means that which is in touch, that which is in communion with God. God's spirit calls out to us, not just one part of us, but all of us. But the connection point starts with our spirit, the part that is in touch with us. Why am I banging on about all of this? Is because when we think that the spirit is only the things about God and is not about the whole of my life, we end up with a limited capacity because we are only doing spiritual things at limited moments in our life. But what I eat is flippin' spiritual. What I feel and how I process my emotions is so spiritual. When there is unforgiveness in my heart, that is a spiritual issue as much as it is a soul issue. When I struggle with sloth, when I struggle with laziness, when I struggle with lust, it impacts my body, but it's also still a spiritual issue. Everything is spiritual. Every moment that I live is a spiritual thing. In the Bible's usage, spirituality is what is in alignment with Christ. Spirituality is simply being in alignment with Christ. Why do you think the Bible tells us that whatever is noble, whatever is right, think of these things? It's because that is spiritual, that, that is aligning my thinking, my thoughts, my mind, my brain, my emotions with what is happening. Why does the psalmist say to himself, why so downcast, O oh my soul? You praise the Lord. It's because he's speaking to himself and he knows that there's something inside of him that doesn't want to praise God, but he knows that in this moment, there's nothing better for him than to come in alignment with God and to praise him. How do we maximize our capacity when we understand that every single decision that I make is about coming in alignment with God or is going out of alignment with God. Suddenly that changes everything. What you do with rest is spiritual. What you do with sleep is spiritual. What you do with your friends is spiritual. What you do when no one is watching is spiritual. What you do in church is spiritual. What you do when you go home is spiritual. Have a spiritual Sunday afternoon nap. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Sabbath, people. It's flipping spiritual. When I lose my temper because I'm emotionally dry, it's a spiritual issue as much as it is an emotional issue. Because whatever I do with my emotions is meant to either glorify God or take me away from God. And so when we give our finances, it's a spiritual practice. Yes, it allows Beck and myself to have a life, to be able to feed our kid and ourselves, thank the Lord. A spiritual practice that the Bible talks about. We need to think about how we use our bodies and our souls. 
the material and the immaterial parts of us in alignment with God. Some of us need to have a revelation of how to worship with our bodies as much as with our souls or the spirit. The Bible tells us to lift up holy hands. The Bible tells us to clap and make noise. Is it because God likes seeing us, entertaining Him? Or does He maybe realize that when we worship with our bodies, that's bringing all of us in alignment with Him? I learned this a few years ago, that when I raise my hands out, it literally makes me feel vulnerable. Literally. When we, when, we, when we put our hands out, why? Because, well, some people say it's because our bodies literally feel like it's being opened. Someone can attack me right now. So our mind and our emotions actually tell us, you're vulnerable. So when we do this to God in a moment of worship, we're saying, God, I'm vulnerable to you. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not holding back. In the same way, when we do this, we can literally say, I'm closing me off to other people. Some of you don't know how to worship. I'm not saying this in a condemning way because I'm trying to encourage you. Bring your whole bodies into your worship. Bex taught me this just in our relationship. I like to look around at stuff. And when we're having conversation, I'm physically present, but my eyes are gone everywhere. <laughs> and she says, that's not good enough, Nate. Why do we do that with God? That when God's presence is here and we're gathered to worship Him, we could even think of keeping our eyes on other things other than God. Why do we allow ourselves priorities and things that are completely off, and we say, well, you know, because I kind of give enough to God. No, there's never giving enough to God. We don't hold anything back from God. We use what He's given us for His life. And until we get that, your capacity is always going to be minimized until you get that your bodies are meant to worship God, until you get that your heart, your emotions, your will, every part of you is going to thrive when you worship God, your capacity is limited. We're getting into a day and an age, and I'm saying this to no one in particular, but I need to say this as a pastor. We're getting into a day and age where worshiping God is more about my choice rather than what God is saying where I'm going to go to where it works for me. I'm going to go at a schedule that meets my needs. And one of these weeks, we're going to talk about the need to prioritize and what the Bible says about prioritizing because it's so important. Yes, you need to live. And yes, the mines might give you more money than working a nine-to-five over here in Perth. 
But is it glorifying to God? Is it glorifying? I'm not going to give you a blanket rule. You do this, you do this, you do this, and you're going to worship God. But you flip and take the time to look into this. Because your choice might be because you're serving something that is worldly. Let's come back to Paul when he writes in Romans 7 about the flesh and the spirit. What is the flesh? The flesh is not our physical bodies. It is the parts of us that are still being ruled by sin. The spirit is the parts of us that is ruled by God. So you might be doing something that you think is not morally wrong, but is it spiritually right? You're going to have to make up your mind. And I'm saying this because I've lived for years thinking that there are parts of me that is okay because I give enough to God. How can we allow that thought into us? I've given enough to God. How could we think I've given enough to God? If you think like that, it's because you haven't actually realized the love of God. You've actually forgotten what God is asking of us because of what He has already done. And when we come back to that place, our thought should be, how much more can I give? What else do you require? I'm not saying to be in church every single day, but in your workplaces, there are people who need the love of God through you as the conduit because you are an ambassador of Christ already, whether you like it or not. So what are you doing about that? The average American spends 1,300 hours a year on social media. The average Australian, I'm going to find it out, hopefully you can find something. The Amer average American spends 1,300 hours a year on social media. I don't know how many of those hours are God-glorifying. I wonder how many of those hours are spent sowing into the flesh. When I read that stat, I was like, I've got to have to look at this. What am I doing with my time? What am I doing with my life? What am I doing that is actually glorifying God? If we can get the band up. Sorry, I, I thought that today would be far more encouraging in tone, but something gripped me. And I do apologize for that. But this is a message for us as a church. Our capacity is meant to increase. Our ability to live out God's purposes is meant to increase. The things that God is calling us as a church to do is, has already increased and it requires an increase from us. An increase that requires us to look into our spirit, soul and body, the whole of our lives and go, God, what aspects have I not surrendered to you? What aspects have I not given to you? What are the things that I'm holding on to that you're asking me to let go of? You know, when we celebrate communion, and can we please, host team, can we please um, hand out the communion? See, one of the things about the communion, 
that I never really got is that it's actually really physical. You hold a little bit of cracker in your hands and a little cup of juice. It's physical. And so in a moment when I was a kid in particular, I thought, hey, a little bit of cracker and juice, this is the best part of the Sunday morning. But the more I realized that this is not separate from the spiritual, that this little thing, a symbol, has immense spiritual meaning. And it reminds me of a physical Jesus who felt physical pain on a physical cross. The creator of the heavens and the earth would choose to come into the physical world in order to be our redemption. What we hold in our hands might be physical, but it's deeply spiritual, church. We hold in our hands the representation of our salvation. We hold in our hands a representation of Jesus' body. Some people think that this literally, as we are in this moment, God's grace comes and it is in a very spiritual, weird way, Jesus' body and his blood. So as we have communion this morning, Understand that this is Jesus saying, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my blood that is shed for you. Now eat, partake, bring it into your physical body. And in a weird way, we are bringing God into our lives. In a weird way, we are recommitting ourselves to saying, you live for me and I'll live for you, Jesus. So why don't we have that bread and why don't we have that cup? Thank you, Jesus. We're going to close our gathering in just a moment. I sense that there are some people here that need to consider. Is your life spiritual? Are you bringing the whole of you to God? How is your alignment with God's will? And where there is a lack of alignment, this is an opportunity to consider and to say, God, I need to realign. If you want prayer, Beck and myself, we'll, we'll be here. We'll pray with you. But the understanding, church, is that all of you, God loves all of you, not just your spirit. God loves all of you. He loves your body. He loves your soul. He loves the material parts of you. He loves the immaterial parts of you. He's the one that has knit them all together. He's the one that fearfully and wonderfully made you. And he's saying, you will thrive. You will live when you're living under the breath, under my breath, under my life, under my spirit. There is more for you. There is more for you. There is more for you. Come on, there are people here that are going to find a new capacity for life in this place because God is speaking into those inner, inner parts of your being. But he's also saying at the very same time, surrender the flesh. Let it go. 
Don't let it rule you. Don't let it reign. Don't let it take over. You need to let it go. Because when you do, you're saying, Spirit, I'll be vulnerable to you. I'll open myself to you. I'm available for whatever you are wanting to do. And we allow God to speak this morning. So why don't we stand? I'm going to close in prayer. Ben's going to lead us in this song. But if you want to do business with God, as we say often, if you want to allow God to speak to you, let's continue to wait. And if you're wanting prayer, if you're wanting clarification, you want confirmation, why don't you come forward and Beck and I will pray with you. Dear Jesus, I pray that as a church that we don't, we don't seg- segment ourselves in ways that you are not calling us to. I pray we're not shelving parts of us away from you, hiding away from you. But God, I pray that we will come into your presence holy, all of ourselves, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, every single part. God, I pray that you examine. I pray, God, that you see every single part of us and you love us. I pray, God, that this morning will be a day of freedom. Where God, that the parts of us that are still led by the flesh you will highlight to us that we will release we will let go and we'll come back in alignment with what you want to do i pray this in your precious name amen awesome well the band's going to lead us in a song you can head to the foyer morning tea is waiting still a spiritual moment church still a spiritual moment you get to edify someone this morning You get to encourage someone this morning. You get to love someone this morning. You get to build someone up this morning. You get to connect with a part of the family this morning. Those are all still spiritual things. But in this moment, God might be doing a deeper work for you, and that's fantastic. Please come forward if you want prayer. If not, thank you so much, church. Bless you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.